You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What is up, Goat Flippers? This is your host, Lurk. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast, the number one hardcore and metal podcast on all of the internet. We got some untimely news this week. Ex-Slipknot drummer Joey Jordison passed away, and Metal Church vocalist Mike Howe also passed away. So Lamb Goat and the Van Flip want to send our condolences out to the families. This week on the show, we have Justin Fornoff, who is the frontman of Risk Meets Razor. The band just released their second full-length, Replica of Strange Love, on Prosthetic Records. And if you're into early emo-core, metalcore, noise-core, but on, with a modern twist, I strongly suggest you checking it out. For more on Risk Meets Razor, or any band for that matter, head over to lambgoat.com. Follow Lambgoat on social media, give us a like on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Lambgoat. Make sure you check out Lambgoat's YouTube page, where all of these podcasts are uploaded in video format plus other lamb goat content hit that subscribe button and alert bell so you're always notified when new episodes or content is uploaded and if you want to follow me lurk the host of the show then you can find me on twitter and instagram at lurk city that's l-u-r-k-c-i-t-y without further ado let's go ahead and roll into the show oh yeah what's this i feel this oh yeah this is uh Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What is good? Welcome to the Van Flip Podcast yet again. I am joined with Justin Fornoff of the band wrist meets razor but you could remember him from other projects such as the american deathcore band from las vegas molotov solution welcome to the show justin how are you doing today man i'm great thanks for having me this is uh fun i've been a, a lambo reader since uh since i was probably like 13 so yeah me as well so what what are some of the things that you remember before we get into everything what are some of the things that right. you remember about lambo and what what makes you keep coming back <laughs> You know, like I think my earliest memories of Lambgoat are pretty are pretty old. They're probably even pre Lambgoat being hardcore oriented when Lambgoat was like slight, lightly new metal metalcore ish influence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the early two thousands. Uh, so my earliest ones are comparing that with the PRP and stuff like that, where, where there was a bunch of uh, music news, but it wasn't all super metalcore hardcore oriented. And then as I got more into stuff like that, it kind of grew with me. So I, you know, naturally never really stopped reading because it always followed my interests. So (laughs) yeah, it's, it's very relevant. I like that. No. Yeah. I, the same with you. I, I, I came from the new metal kind of era, you know, that's where I kind of started breaking my teeth onto underground music for the most part. And then I found the PRP and again, you know, lamb goat was tied into that directly because they were basically the only two kind of websites that were, catering to that kind of genre, those genres. So it is, right. it has been interesting to see how both websites or both outlets have gone a separate direction over the course of the last, you know, 20 plus years or whatever, but, uh, right. Right. New metal is still taken care of on uh, a plethora of other platforms these right. days. Right. So if you want right. to know more about mainstream rock and new metal, it's, it's out there, but, uh, I have to say lamb goat has kind of kept at least to the metal core, uh, and metal audiences, right. uh, we we could do a little bit more on hardcore probably, but you know, right. we have a vein. Yeah. So, so you you were started off by Molotov cocktail or not uh, solution? Not mm-hmm. Molotov cocktail. Molotov solution. So you were you were in that band as a bass player for a brief time, you know, right? And uh, right. what have you been doing since then prior to getting into Wrist Meets Razor? Because that's kind of a new project that's come around the last like handful of years for you. 
Right. So after uh, after Molotov Solution, I just mostly did local bands in Las Vegas and went to school, and I graduated from UNLV um, and uh, became a teacher, and I taught for a couple of years, and then uh, this band started to do stuff, and I kind of, I was looking for uh, an end back into the music thing, and so here I am. Interesting. <laughs> so you graduated from UNLV, congratulations on that, and... Uh, what 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 are you te- what were you teaching or what are you teaching if you still teach? I don't teach anymore, but I was teaching literature. Oh, that was my main thing was English and lit. So, and that's what my degree was into. So that was that's always been kind of my passion, and a lot of that uh, I think kind of shines through in the Risk Me Razor stuff, especially the new Risk Me Razor stuff. Um, so. Yeah, it's kind of following in the footsteps of another kind of like, you know, scene legend. Uh, Keith Buckley was also a teacher. I believe he taught literature yeah. as well or something like that. And yeah, it, yeah. it carries over, yeah. especially for like front men and people who write, you know, write the lyrics. It's actually, a, you know, a pretty good thing to have in the back pocket. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And like Mike from All Out War and uh, James from Harm's Way, all teachers, you know, I, I get it. I understand the pipeline. It makes <laughs> a lot of sense. It's, it is a... It is a flexible enough job to where you can do that, if, even if you're full time or if you're a substitute. Like you can do that and play music at the same time. So I get that, and that was kind of what I was doing as well. Um, except when I was teaching, I was mostly just doing local band stuff. So it wasn't ever there was no extensive touring happening. I, sometimes there'd be like a month long tour or something like that, and mm-hmm. it'd be easy to get that off. But um, when Risk Me Razor started going real serious, is when I decided to not teach anymore. It wouldn't have made sense. We in 2018 when we uh, when we signed a prosthetic, we just decided to go balls in on it. To be honest with you, and so there was no slowing down. It was not going to be anything else but touring nonstop. Mm-hmm. That's where we were up until last year. Interesting. So. Last teaching question I have for you: What um, sure. was it like a grade level? Middle school, high school, maybe some college. What was your uh, what was your forte? It was all high school for me. I could have done middle school, and I, I student taught at a couple of middle schools. But uh, for me, it was all high school while I was doing it, which was interesting because I'm you know I'm fairly young and mm-hmm. I look young too. So so there was some fun kind of moments yeah. where you know That's... all monitors thought I was students and stuff like that. It's fun. Sir, you have to get back to class. Uh, I'm, I'm on. Yeah, I'm, I have a free period. This, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm free period. Yeah, but I would wear the badge too. I would have the badge that had my name on. It still wouldn't even look at that. They still would just be like, and sometimes they would catch themselves right in the middle. Like they would look at me and they would be about to say something, but then they notice the badge and then they stop. And it'd be really <laughs> uncomfortable for both of us because at that moment we both know exactly what they were thinking. Yeah. So see you at the water yeah. cooler, bro. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, it must have been kind of weird for the students, too, because, I mean, you don't technically look like a stereotypical teacher. You know, you're covered in tattoos. Right. You, you got a, a nice leather or either black satin or leather shirt on with the glasses. Yeah. So you're pretty rock star right now. Um, yeah. Did that play into your favor or did, or did kids not take you as seriously as a teacher? Or, Well, I mean, I always dressed. I always, you know, liked the way I dressed. So I, I didn't. I didn't dress super different from this. I mean, I, maybe a little bit more professional, but it was always black long sleeves and black slacks and stuff like that. And they're all form fitting. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a thing where uh, they, I, I'm not sure if I would say the kids didn't take me as seriously. I think they were much more intrigued by the idea of a teacher that didn't dress like uh, a Docker's ad or something. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, more relatable, but, you know, more relatable to their time you know right kind of i think but then at the same time you know i was like the authority so um there was that element to it and i as far as that goes i'm not like an authoritarian i don't try to like push some kind of rules on kids or i'm not trying to like bust people for chewing gum or something like you know that's not me but um i you know you do have to put forth a certain amount of like no nonsense approach to it because right. if you're gonna act like uh act like you'll let anything go if you're gonna be the cool teacher then they will do whatever they want so yeah it was a little bit of that too a little bit of trying to find the balance and sometimes having to be the hard-ass teacher that was just like not gonna allow let anything happen so they knew that they couldn't walk all over you and it sucked i'm not gonna lie i wasn't a big fan of teaching it, it's a hard job it's yeah. very 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 thankless so For um sure. i i was kind of thankful to 
Cool. Well, you can't, yeah, you can't always uh, summon your cool Mr. F- uh, what is it? Mr. Fichi? Yeah. Who's the guy from Boy Meets World, the teacher? Feeny. Oh, Mr. Mr. Feeny. Feeny. You can't, yeah, you can't yeah, channel yeah, your yeah. cool Mr. Feeny all the time. But yeah. uh, so, okay, skipping off of school stuff, um, let's talk about how Riss Meets Razor kind of, or Riss Meet Razor uh, kind of got into, got, got started. You uh, started as a solo project. Is that, did I do my research correctly? And now you're kind of like a full band. So I just kind of want to go through the motions as far as like how it all began. Yeah, we did. We started as a uh, as a solo project for our guitar player. He uh, he put it out on uh, he put it out on Bandcamp and made a post about it. And then I saw the post about it. It really was all super mysterious. There wasn't any names attached to it. It was supposed to be a very kind of DIY bedroom screamo project. And uh, we uh, we did it. And uh, I mean, and to be fair, it wasn't it wasn't intentionally supposed to be a screamo project. Like it didn't have like a title attached to it as far as like what the genre needed to be or what it was. It was just a cool kind of thing. It took influence from screamo. And um, that's kind of what we figured a lot of the fan base would be in the beginning. And it was, um, but it was never really supposed to be pigeonholed. That's one thing. And uh, when I talked to him about it, we had a bunch of different influences for stuff we wanted to do. Uh, and so right after that, we decided to, start working on stuff and we did the first two EPs and the rest is really history after that. Yeah. You guys have uh, kind of added some permanent music- musicians as you've kind of gone along the way and where you're standing right. at now, you kind of have like uh, what seems to be like as most a complete band as you could possibly have. You have like four members. Uh, do you think that's where you'll end up or do you want to, cause I know you play bass and do vocals, but you know, other guys in the band or other people in the band do vocals as well. So, um, you know, is your is your goal to c- continue doing both, or do you want to maybe step out as the main front man at some point? Or, well, I definitely am not going to do both forever. I will say that much. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to give away too much, but yeah, I'm not going to be the vocalist. I'm not going to be the bass player and vocalist forever. Um, hmm. But yeah, no, we've we're very happy with uh, the you know how the band's progressed and you know the members that we have, and everyone is very has a very integral part what we are and what we do and they everyone contributes a lot so it's a it's very much a uh, a joint effort in what we in what risk me razor is that's awesome and how did you guys all connect because um are you all in this i know you not you don't all live in the same city but do you and the guitar player you just mentioned do you at least live in the same proximity to where you kind of can get together or, or how did you find this post about the band you know on the internet Oh, we don't live anywhere near each other, actually. Um, I, I I met him through other bands, not even Molotov Solution, post that where I was, you know, doing other other bands, trying to get artwork and stuff like that. And he did artwork and I uh, we became friends uh, based on that. And then after that, it was like a thing where I just would follow up on the bands he was doing and his band had broken up and my band at that time had broken up. And so we were both just like, well, you know, we have nothing else going on and he posted, he posted the Risk Me Razor demo, and it was something that I thought was really, really unique and cool. And I, the name I thought really stuck out as something that, um, as something that is an attention grabber hmm. in a way that like I hadn't really seen before. So I was very interested in doing the project, and it just kind of stuck with that. But no, we don't live anywhere near each other. Actually, I, he lives on the uh, complete opposite coast. I live in Las Vegas. He lives in uh, Virginia. So it's been a. Uh, it's been a, a very interesting kind of play by correspondence as far as right. prose, lyrics and all that stuff goes. I mean, now we're at the point where we can just where we fly out to each other uh, whenever we need to do stuff. But at that time, I mean, that wasn't really the case. And I had never met him before either at that time either. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like, yeah. how did that, I mean, cause it was just you guys in the beginning. Um, how did you guys go about tracking down the other individuals? Cause I know you have someone living in Delaware and another, in another mm-hmm. location. So um, when was the first time that like I was, when you all got together, was it just like the first show that you all played together or did you guys kind of like have some kind of communication and, and meet up beforehand? Well, there was another bass player or there was not, sorry, not another bass player. There was another <laughs> drummer beforehand that we played on our first tour. And um, when we went to that, our very, very first kind of run of shows that included a fest, um, when we did that, I had never met them before. We just kind of planned it out, practiced at home and then showed up and learned all our songs and then did it. Um, and then as that went on, me and Jonah had started, you know, traveling more and like 
taking the band a little bit more seriously. So I I known him, and then we added Ryan, our drummer, and then we added Tyler uh, in 2019, our second guitarist. And that was basically their additions were less awkward because me and Jonah already knew each other, so it was like they were joining our band. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like we were all for learning, meeting each other for the first time and playing. And it was like one spontaneous, instantaneous thing. You know what I mean? It, there was, that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, but yeah, there, there was a, a process involved, especially with getting new people on board. Yeah. And what, where did the idea come from to have multiple vocalists on board? Was it just something that you kind of wanted to have like a, a range and dynamic to those songs with the lyrics and such? Or is that something you kind of, always thought even when you you and Jonah were just doing the project? We always wanted to have multiple vocalists. I think the plan was always that at least him and I would do vocals. Uh, and then we ended up, when we, when we added Brian to the band, he had been a vocalist in other bands. And so it was like, you know, I think that's, it's an interesting thing to have a band where everyone does vocals. It's also a very like screamo thing. Like that's like a thing that has been deeply inbred in and ingrained in the screamo scene as like a characteristic of the genre. You know, it's yeah. what the genre is. It's usually a lot of different vocalists. Everyone's playing instruments at the same time. So it made sense on that level too. We thought it was cool. Um, so that was, that was the original kind of thing with it. I think we take a much different approach now, I will say it's the, the approach that we take to the band now is different from what it used to be in terms of what, um, what we want to get out of the image and the sound and, you know, the vocals and everything else. So everyone does vocals on the new record too. Um, but you'll, uh, you'll see when you hear it, if you're listening to this, um, you'll see the difference in how it is now as opposed to how it used to be. Right. And go piggyback, piggybacking off of that. There has been kind of like a change in sound. I don't want to necessarily say like, um, for better or worse, just more mature from the first couple of releases, even the singles that you guys have released in, in that time period between Misery Never Forgets and is the new, correct me if I'm wrong, but the new uh, the new album, is it called This Summer's Sorrow 2? That's the new single. Single, yeah. okay, yeah, okay. What's the, the what's the record's name? The record's called Replica of a Strange Love. Gotcha, all right, cool. I get so much stuff coming at me at, all the time. I got, you know all these emails and I, it's hard to keep track of everything yeah. in order. But um, yeah. So what was the biggest difference between, you know, the way that you guys were approaching the band then to now, because it seems more mature and seems like you, a more, I don't know, thought out process. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the main difference between where the band was and where the band is now, especially with the record and how, and putting the live show aside with how we're recording and writing music is for this record. We, uh, had a producer our friend isaac hale from knock loose um produced the record we went up to kentucky last year and uh did everything with him as far as pre-throwing the tracks and creating everything there's a lot of stuff that happened under isaac's uh eye like he helped with a lot he wrote a couple riffs we wrote a bunch of riffs and it was a huge collaboration we'd never done that before all the other records were essentially just Jonah and I, they were all entirely Jonah and I's ideas and lyrics. And it was both of us pretty equally. And now it is much more expansive. Yeah. And Isaac actually speaking of vocals, he lends some vocals to a couple, uh, well, I don't know, a couple songs, but definitely the Paris track. Um, how did that come about? How did, how did having him featured on the record, not only as a producer, but like as a, you know, vocalist. And I'm sure he's, written and recorded a couple of guitar bass tracks or whatever on the album too. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, he, uh, it was, uh, an honor, but also with that said, like he's a good friend of ours. It wasn't like, there wasn't uh, some sort of, you know, starstruck rock star moment where we were like, you know, Isaac from knocked loose is here. You know what I mean? He's a friend of ours that we've known for a long time. And, and, uh, it was a very cool and natural thing where we just, we just uh, got in a room and were able to write. And then when we went to record, he came with us too, because he wanted to kind of oversee that process as well. He really took his producer role very serious and he's very good at it. Um, and so when we were there, I had asked him if he wanted to do vocals in Last Tango. I thought that there was a part that really fit him and he was into it. That's, that was one of his favorite songs in the pre-pro. So it, the whole thing was just very, very natural. 
it's um, there wasn't any kind of weird vibes or any kind of hesitation on anyone's part. It just it just all happened, and I think that it uh, it shows when you listen to the record. And not jumping too far ahead into the future or anything like that, but would using Isaac again as a producer or someone in the studio with you, would that be something that you would kind of want to approach again at a, a later date for maybe a next EP or a next another album? Yeah. As long as we're, as long as there's another risk me razor album that, that we will always uh, work with other people in order to produce it. Cause I think that that's an important fact, an important factor actually into writing music in general. I think when you're in your little insular group with your bandmates and you're kind of coming up with your own ideas, you don't see anything outside of that one tiny perspective and that perspective is hard to grow because me and my bandmates all like similar stuff so we're not gonna really you know if we keep putting out the records that only we can kind of see and only we can put a scope on it's not going to be as good as if we put bring in someone that we really respect as a musician to help with that and uh yeah i mean i i mean i can't speak with any kind of certainty but we uh, liked working with Isaac a lot. So hopefully that's something that will happen more in the future. Sure. Yeah. And again, it's far off. You guys just literally worked with him within the last six to eight, 10 months or whatnot. I know you guys recorded the album prior, or at least you demoed and tracked most of the album prior to uh, the pandemic hitting, but I know you guys finished it up within, uh, you know, when you were able to within the summer of last year, um, how much of, and I hate I hate talking about COVID and the pandemic, but how much of that played a role into the writing of this record or did it, you know, did it play into, I mean, musically it was already done. So like, did it play a role in anything else outside of, you know, the creation process? Um, So it's interesting too, because you're right. The instrumentals of this were done in February of last year. So it predates COVID technically predates COVID (laughs) in America. Um, But the lyrics were all written subsequently after that in the space that would have been a canceled tour that we were going to do. Um, and so, yeah, they're very, they're very much influenced by COVID in, uh, in interesting ways. I, I think, um, I think the context of the event is, was never really given any kind of, uh, pretext or any kind of subtext at all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were kind of just left to, you know, make our own odds and ends of it. And a lot of what people ended up utilizing and doing in that time period is something that I felt needed, needed commentary. And, and, and to varying extents, this record is that um, there are definitely tracks on this, that there are definitely tracks on this record that uh, key into more philosophies that I feel um, speak to the bleakness and the, um, the times the gotcha. end times we're living through and still are living through. Yeah, it is. It's been a crazy, crazy year. That's for damn sure. And I'm assuming it's going to get a little bit more nutty before it gets, you know, better. But with everything coming out, I don't know exactly right. who, where to look and what to believe. So it's all up in the air. Right. Um, when you're writing, are you the sole author of the lyrics? Do you write lyrics thinking about someone else saying them? Or do you allow the other person to write their own lyrics? Or, or how does the process go for just that particular part of the album so for this particular album i am the sole author author of the lyrics um but for the other ones it was much more of a collaboration between jonah and i um misery never forgets for example was pretty split down the center it was pretty much half and half well half me half jonah and um the uh the eps before that were a little bit more jonah but they had some of my lyrics in there too and our the vocals are pretty split 50-50. So that's kind of how the band has been. But now, for the first time, this record is all me, all lyrics that I wrote. Um, and um, they uh, they speak to very much what I was wanting to say with the record. I, I'm not, I wouldn't say that they are necessarily uh, entirely um, conceptual to the point of where they're 100% open for interpretation. I think there are interpretations there that are closer to being correct, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that said, a lot of it could be interpreted multiple different ways um, within the context of what it is, if that makes sense too. Like it's, there's, there is a rough concept to this record. It's not necessarily just, uh, just all random shit thrown against the wall, but the concept of this record isn't, that of a concept record as much as it is 
um, a much more overarching kind of thematic thing in a sense of there are bands like Nine Inch Nails, for example, mm-hmm. with the Downward Spiral. It's not an exact concept album, but the songs all fit into the same bigger conceptual thing. And that's the same thing with this record. You can listen to the songs in any order and it would still work fine. However, if you listen to songs from this record and then mixed it with songs from other records, it would be completely off. Interesting. And that, that comes with back what I was saying about the maturing and just finding. It sounds like you guys are just defining right. your roles within the outfit, you know, as you're going. Because, again, it, it was, you know, 2017, 2018, you guys started the group or the group was started. And it's only been a handful of years. And we had to basically push, push pause on, you know, for a year, 16 months, you know, for everything. So it's still relatively new and kind of, you know, working its way out. Uh, right. My next question is because you were talking about concept and concept albums and stuff like that. You already said it wasn't a concept album, but you have concepts within the writing. Um, do you got, do you write things that are more along the lines of a storyline and that's why things maybe need to be listened to in a particular order? Or do you have like story li- like or just certain songs maybe, uh, you know, about the same storyline, but they could be on different releases. Do you have anything like that in the, in the works? There's, there is a little bit of that in here too. I, I, like I said, I don't want, I would never want to do that on a much larger scale. Like I would never want to write record that has to be listened to front to back. So you could kind of see what it is. And otherwise it would be all mixed up. I think that that's cool. And then bands that do that, I think are onto something by doing that. Um, but for this band, um, the storylines are definitely a little bit more disjointed. For, for example, there's, uh, separate, several different storylines, I think, in this record where there are certain songs that follow the same kind of thought process exactly, and there are others that don't, even if they do have the same conceptual kind of vibes going on, and they are, but they all, they both exist, or they all exist underneath the same umbrella. Um, I think the biggest thing with this record is that, um, as you mentioned earlier with uh, the, the last single, This Summer Sorrow 2, mm-hmm. Uh, that song is a uh, is a sequel to a song that we wrote on one of our EPs called This Summer Sorrow. Um, and uh, the whole vibe with that was to be able to continue on with a very similar theme from the past. And when we were pre-throwing that song, Isaac and our guitar player, um, our guitar player Tyler, were very, very uh, into the idea of bringing something like that back and then utilizing it for the future in a way that's cool and involved and everything like that. And I think that uh, lyrically I wanted to match that. So in a way that song might be the, the one that bridges the gaps in the best possible way between the records, even though the songs themselves are about completely different things. I think that they have a very similar uh, spirit and they kind of evolve from the same spirit. And as far as the rest of the record goes, I think, uh, there's, there's there's some very strong uh, philosophy kind of things, like the philosophy, it kind of continues in certain ways throughout the record um, in bursts that aren't going chron- uh, chronologically. Like, you don't you can't just listen through three songs and then have them all kind of fit into the same thing. Yeah. But if you really do want to listen to the record critically, you can find a lot of those uh, themes continuing there's uh numerology and uh and great abundance on the record there's a lot of uh a lot of uh nietzsche and, and Crowleyan philosophy that's mm-hmm. um is spread out throughout the record but it is in very specific spots where it's referencing their philosophies as uh as i see it and the it's uh, analyzing myself and how I see myself and in, in, in the current age and how I feel the, uh, the world and humanity are kind of evolving as a, as a, um, as a response to everything going on. Yeah. It, like I said earlier, it's been a crazy time and it's been even more crazier times since, you know, you were last in a assigned band many years ago, 15 years ago. Or so, so things right. have definitely changed. Um, with the new record, it, there's. I'm not saying it sounds differently. Like I said, it sounds more mature. But like there are obviously some other influences that came in 
to the writing process. Uh, was that because you added new members or is it because you guys took a step out and maybe started bringing in some of your own personal influences that you kind of liked uh, that may not necessarily be in the heavy uh, realm of music? Um, you know, like maybe some like new wave industrial type kind of vibes to it. Uh, Cause there's other songs on the record that have that right. kind of vibe to it. So I don't know if you want to elaborate on that or if, if it's all just uh, you try to cast out everything that you maybe like while writing and then just try to kind of like write your own thing. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and to answer the, like, is it adding new members? Is it, you know, just evolving as people? I think we've always wanted to do stuff like this. Like this record okay. is something that we had talked about when we were doing, you know, tiny DIY tours and how like, once we get to this point, we would want to start writing stuff that was more akin to, things that we thought were interesting uh, on like the metallic hardcore side of things that maybe had a lot more theatrics or maybe were very, um, very aesthetic driven. And uh, the fact that we got here uh, kind of is a testament to the fact that we wanted to do stuff like this. Um, But with that said, adding Tyler has helped a lot. Tyler is our second guitar player and he has a lot of those influences just naturally. And so that, you know, pushed that further. Um, when it comes to the uh, electronic elements of it, again, it's, we always liked electronic music. Like it, it's something that we, if you've done a tour with us, you know that we consistently, it's some of the only things that we listen to when we're on drives and in the van and it's some of our favorite music. And so uh, this was something that we felt was necessary. And then on top of that, even is on our last record, we had a song called uh, Come On In The Water's Pink, which is where we dabbled with a lot of these ideas of electronic and uh industrial sounds and stuff like that and so i felt like on this record we definitely needed to uh evolve that idea and push it further and then on the next one i mean who knows maybe in the next one we'll push it even further than this yeah so. i mean you can always you don't want to hold yourself back or anything you know you don't want to right, right, right. pigeonhole yourself um so how did you guys link up with prosthetic back in the day uh was it something that like a a relationship that was already there? Did you have to like demo the band out to different labels and they were one that just kind of like, you know, wanted, wanted to get it, their hands on it? So uh, we uh, got signed to Prosthetic. Uh, it's interesting, actually. We never we didn't reach out to them for sure. We um, we did a tour with uh, CU Space Cowboy and a band mm-hmm. called uh, Letters to Catalonia. And uh, none of us were signed bands. This was in like 2018. Um, and um, I to the best of my knowledge, they saw one of the live shows from that one and uh, they reached out to us and had asked us about our interest in signing. And we had kind of talked it over and talked it out with them. And it just seemed like a very cool opportunity at the time that we would have been dumb to pass up. It's worked out. It's worked out well for us. I mean, they're very, uh, they're a very accommodating record label and they haven't been any kind of like any kind of uh, any kind of, burden to us doing what we want to do they haven't slowed us down from from the more crazy aesthetic things that we do especially considering that a lot of their bands don't do what we do so yeah and that's another one of my questions is uh, you guys stand out on the roster a little bit not necessarily like you don't belong but you know it is a different kind of feel mostly on that roster so it's good to know that they don't necessarily uh you know meddle with anything or, or let you do whatever you want to do so that's cool um yeah where do you think the resurgence in like screamo, like not like real screamo, because a lot of people are confused on what screamo is, but like, you know, the the very emotional, very fast paced, heavy guitar driven types of screamo from back in the day. Where do you think that resurgence is coming from? See, um, I could can't exactly ex- like explain what I think it where I think it comes from, uh, and it's strange because I, for me, I liked screamo in the early 2000s. So for, for me, it was more of like a nostalgia thing to play in this band in the early days. I think kids um, can relate to a little bit more of a lo-fi kind of chaotic thing, maybe more so than they were in the past 10 years or so when, when bands were um, trying to get into the, the newly acquired um, home studio 
thing that's kind of started happening where every band wants to sound really good and they can do it for cheaper because they can buy their own stuff. And, and, you know, that didn't exist in the 2000s. Like if you're listening to this and you don't remember <laughs> or you weren't around then, it there wasn't home studios. The oh, bands yeah. that recorded, the bands that recorded had to go spend a lot of money and go to a professional studio to record or they just recorded an eight track and it, and it sounded bad. <laughs> and a lot of the screamo bands did that. They recorded on an eight track and a lot of them did sound bad. And I think there's a, uh, there's a romantic kind of element to that, that I think is coming back around because people are starting to, you know, get bored of overproduced sounding stuff. Um, yeah. For better or worse, I, I I don't really I don't really necessarily stand on either side of that, um, but I could see how that would be appealing. Of course, and there's sometimes when I listen back to like early two thousands, late nineties bands that record, like you know, bands that have gone on to even record more albums in the last twenty years. But sometimes when I listen back to those early recordings, I just still I, I'd like a re-record because recording and production right. has gotten so much better that you know a lot of that like. Some of these records that I'm listening to in the late '90s, early 2000s, I can't even hear the bass guitar. You know, they like no. they weren't even worried about it. So it would be cool, you know, to have the, some some stuff re-recorded and see what that would sound yeah. like current day. But it is, like you said, nostalgic, and uh, that's one of the things that I that's one of the terms that I kind of gravitated towards when I first started listening to you guys and CU Space Cowboy because we had Connie on from CU Space Cowboy um, a while back too, and like I told right. her. It's just a nod to that early kind of chaotic spaz course, screamo sound, like early 2000s. Yeah. And I, you know, I love that. And I think I personally, I think a little bit is coming back because maybe those people that listened to that music at that time had children. And now those kids are somewhat into that kind of same, you know, yeah. demographic yeah. and stuff. So it's really weird I, or really cool to see uh, the fan base, the potential fan base just keep growing and growing and growing. Right, exactly. And, and even further, like lamb goats, um, for better or worse, had a lot to do with getting uh, bands like us and CU Space Cowboy out there to lots of people, um, especially because they, for a while it was very it was very interesting to go into the comments section. So I think a lot of people just did. And it made the bands more popular as a uh, result. So. Yeah, uh, that's one of the things that I was wanting to ask you about. What are some sure. of the things that you kind of read about either yourself or the band that stick out, whether it's positive or negative. I mean, <laughs> if we're, if we're referring to the comment sections of various news articles, nah, we'll do lamb specifically <laughs> lamb uh, <laughs> I don't think anything I read about myself is something I would want to repeat yeah, publicly so. because it was all, and most of, I mean, all of it is very untrue, but it was all kind of like, transphobic and strangely homophobic stuff yeah, that's the... which is what it is you know and, and but to be fair to be totally fair i'm from the era of the internet where that was everywhere and you don't put if you put this kind of project out there that's what you would kind of expect and so i wasn't i i'm also a i'm also a bit of a, a masochist in a sense where i i enjoy reading some of this stuff i think it's uh i think it's hilarious i love reading other people's kind of like off the wall criticisms of me. And I mean, who knows? I don't know if this goes on, on uh, YouTube, but if it does, it will, it will. Be even more yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there's more on our YouTube and it happens all the time. And I, I think it's funny. I don't, I don't have a problem with it. And, and the other thing too, and I know Connie could probably, um, could probably agree with this. We never get this in person. Like no one ever comes up to us yeah. and like says any kind of stuff like this. So like we never have to, actually you know answer it i'm sure we would have, you know if it happened in person i'm sure we would handle that but like it, it never does so it's more just entertaining and we uh yeah when our first uh when our very first so after we signed to prosthetic our first single was called xoxo and then the lamb go post that followed that was one that got hundreds of comments mm. maybe more than hundreds of comments i can't really remember but we were on tour at the time and we would just read them for hours we literally could read them for hours and then stop and then laugh at them and then read them again and then you know we are so a part of the humor that we would comment 
in the comment section about ourselves even yeah. just for fun we would do it <laughs> just to going. continue to yeah. stoke the flame we would just continue talking about ourselves to make it even worse it was great yeah the, fun. the funny part about people that comment things and or that quote unquote engage or interact with those kinds of posts is right. they don't understand how much they are actually helping well i would assume that and again for those again that are unaware of like lamb goat back in the day um like you were saying it was known that was like a part of the internet that was just known that was going to go down uh the comments weren't going to be like oh this is my favorite band thanks for posting it was always going to be some kind of derogatory kind of trying to be funny style comment that was really bad uh so you kind of became used to that at lamb goat and you kind of understood that like oh, well, if they're really shitting on us, they must kind of like us because they wouldn't spend the time to you know, waste all this energy coming up with all of these crazy comments if they didn't care. Right. It's like, you know, me thinks the, the lady doth protest too much kind of thing, like Shakespearean yeah. when you go into the comment section. Um, but also I think, you know, there's probably a part of them that think that they are doing something, but they don't, what they don't realize is it's like actually working and that, and reversed and yeah. and the people that are saying a lot of those comments are people we know and some of them probably are doing it because they think it's funny and they don't really have you know they're not they're not even literally trying to you know insult us they just think it's also hilarious to be mm-hmm. a part of this some people have told us that and we usually laugh and think it's funny too i i always uh i try to keep a good sense of humor when it comes to the internet because if you don't if you don't keep a good sense of humor when it comes to the internet it will eat you alive it's it'll make you doubt yourself and your mm-hmm. band and your you know your appearance and stuff like that and i don't you know i mean i just think it's funny a hundred percent yeah it's crazy to see the differences how the just the behavior on the internet has changed or how it's been taken differently because i would say that it was always this way um you know in little areas like the lamb goat message board or the lamb goat comment section or or this or the other there wasn't social media necessarily but there were ways to communicate with each other back and forth and I kind of, I've seen that from, you know, Jump Street on the internet. You know, people just becoming right. a different person than they were in themselves. So it's just weird to see how it's evolved. And um, with all that being said, Lamb Goat does have a new version of the website coming out in the next couple of weeks here. So I want to say anonymous comments will kind of come back, but they will just be moderated more <laughs> in a more proficient way. That's all. There we go. Let's go then. I'm all about it. Let's bring the hate. It is because, like you said, it is one of those things where other people would just kind of do it as jokes. You know what I mean? Like your friends would get on there and trash your band, or you would go and trash another band. Whereas, right, the avid or the casual reader may go into the comment section and just be like, "Oh my god, like what's going on?" They don't really understand the ecosystem that is lamb go i guess exactly like the, the risk me razor ones for the most part were like that i mean i wouldn't recommend any of my friends who might be sensitive to certain words to go in there mm-hmm. but they were for the most part people that i don't think actively hated us they just you know thought it was funny to make fun of us they like they don't really hate us but sometimes I, I will be totally fair some of the comment sections did get pretty malicious <laughs> on yeah. a level where it was Clearly not friends, but on our, in our experience, it was mostly just making fun of our appearance and stuff like that, which I don't mind. No. And I should, I should preface that with like, no one's defending any comments that are on the message board or the, or the comment section. But if you were to look at it just as a new person in a new light, it does seem, wow, this is the wild west over here. And it was, and yeah, but everyone kind of had an, everyone knew that. I mean, like, you know, it was what Lamgo got big from for the most part. So, um, or yeah. most notable for, but, um, yeah. So changing gears, what are going to be, what's the goals, uh, for WMR coming, you know, going forward, because you're about to drop this album this week, uh, June 11th, or no, I'm sorry. Yeah. June 11th, uh, 2011, you're dropping the new album. What are the goals for this album now coming forward? You know, what's the next step in the mature, maturity of the band and what's you know what what are the five ten year goals from here or are there any um you know we always like to keep our options open as far as what's going on i think 
the goals will always be to continue to be true to what we want to do and uh, progress it and get better and do more. We'd love to do bigger tours. We'd love to start uh, doing a lot of support stuff for other bands so we can spread, you know, this um, this virus amongst everyone here. That is Risk Me Razor and what we're doing now. Uh, but I think uh, ultimately, regardless of what we do, as long as we're able to continue writing and creating what we want and progressing and evolving, and that's good enough for all of us. Cool. Um, and before we lead off, before I leave off, I should say, not lead off, um, Justin, I would get so confused seeing your uh, the band's promo photo for the last couple, you know, year or two, and I'd be like, oh, James Hart has a new band. So <laughs> you and James have a very, uh, you know, the vibe is a lot alike, and you right. guys look similar. So... I- I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I I grew up a very, very big 18 Visions fan, and I've never really stopped being one. So it's it's been an influence for sure. I, I wouldn't say it's the only influence or it's a lead influence even, but it's it's something we like. So I appreciate that. That's a compliment. No, yeah. Uh, and again, I, I don't know if you're paying attention. You probably are if you're a big 18 Visions fan, but they have some new stuff you know, in the works, uh, it, it looks like at least. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I really liked uh, the the last 18 Visions thing that came out last year, the, the mm-hmm. uh, EP that they put out. I thought that one was really sick, actually. Yeah. Is that where you kind of get like, uh, and I don't want to say anything negative or, or pigeonholed or anything, but the fashion core right. kind of rock star vibe, is that kind of where you picked up on that through James in the early days? Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily through James. Um, I just always kind of liked it. I've always been a, a fan of more of a, a rock star element of rock music in general. Like I, I really grew up loving Marilyn Manson and Trent Reznor. And I thought that those guys had their own style that they pushed through unapologetically. And I liked that a lot. And so that's always been a, a main key thing, but in the uh, context of metalcore, yes, definitely. Cause I think James Hart is the guy when it comes to um, doing metalcore and doing hardcore, but doing it with your own style unapologetically and uh, moving forward with it without, you know, having to change. Because James caught a lot of flack, too, back in the day for it. And of course. He didn't, you know, he didn't put up with any shit. And that's kind of how I see myself. So, yeah. Yeah. He was definitely an influence, for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, um, he may have been one, or they may have been one of the first bands as a younger a young person that I saw that um, I was like, wow, these guys are doing the same kind of, well, not the same kind of music, but they're in the same vein as all these other these other artists and they look so different and they're all wearing ties and tight express typed, you know, V shirts and uh, uh-huh. they all do hair. And so it just was all like so weird, but um, yeah, it's that, that kind of fashion, whether it was as a joke or they just were expressing themselves, you know, to kind of like be the opposite of what was currently going on in that kind of genre. It was, right. like, you know, I, I gravitated toward it and my band started kind of dra- dressing in the whole fashion core thing and, you definitely yeah. got you definitely got some comments. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely do. But it, again, like I think it's a good thing, and I think uh, we're in a place right now where uh, we're kind of back to where we were probably when Eighteen Vision started doing that because it's one of those one of those scenarios that you know everything's cyclical. But for a while, bands just don't care about the way they look and they just dress like whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, we, and specifically me. Uh, I'm very different from that, and I, I like to uh, dress up, and I always have, and I always will. So, hopefully, it's something people like. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, before we head off here, in the time that we you've had in the pandemic, have you kind of checked out any new bands or got acquainted with any older music that you may have passed up on within the last sixteen, eighteen months? Um, I'm not sure if I've really gotten into any new bands per se. There are a lot of bands that we've um, that we've toured with that I think are, have done cool things during the pandemic and are going to continue doing cool things after it. Um, Foreign Hands, which is our guitar player's other band, um, put out um, put out a cover of uh, a Josh Fifth Battle song called "The Opportunist" that I thought was really sick, and that came out a couple months ago. Um, the band Serration from Canada that we toured with put out uh, a compilation album of all their songs. And I thought that actually came out really cool too. And um, yeah, 
lots of cool stuff coming up right now. I don't really, you know, I'm, I'm real kind of iffy as to like the new stuff that I do kind of check out and want to like promote. Uh, I, I always want to promote things that I like ideally and, uh, personally love you know if i love it then I'll, I'll definitely post about it if i think they're putting out as much work as we are or if they're doing things that i think that are comparably cool or something that speaks to me i will post about it but if if not then i just i usually don't really i don't like to be fake gotcha you know? and the last question will end off on the new record we'll end off on a question that involves a new record uh out of the handful of singles that you've already kind of released which do you think that um, those singles are a proper full representation of the album? And sidebar question: What what is your favorite song on the album coming up? So, so I don't think that the uh, I don't think the singles are a proper representation of the album, but only because the album is so varied that there's no way that it possibly could be. We couldn't have chosen three songs or four songs that would represent the album. It would have been impossible. Um, so if you're listening to this now, go check out the record. Um, it's streaming everywhere, and it's uh, much different from the three songs that you've listened to if you listen to the singles. With that said, I think all of the singles uniquely touch on different aspects of the record that are present. So there are, if you like the singles, I very much recommend you listen to the full thing. If you hate the singles, I still recommend you listen to the full thing because it's not necessarily going to... Uh, be easily pigeonholed into one of those sounds throughout. Uh, my favorite song on the record is probably Nietzsche is Dead. It's a song that I put a lot, a lot of thought into lyrically, and it involves a lot of philosophy and uh, kind of a nihilistic kind of thrash at, at a at society in a way that I have never done before on, on a song. And I think it's the realest one that we have. It's my favorite one by far, for sure. And uh, yeah. Well, that is awesome. Justin, thank you for spending the last hour with me. That was great. And uh, check out Wrist Meets Razor. If you're listening to it on, if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Music, just kind of like, you know, switch the app up, search the name up. And the album's been out. It's been out for a month now at this particular point. So congrats to that. I guess I'll tell you congratulations on, on that before it even comes out. But uh, yeah, man, hopefully next time we have a little chat, we're in person. That's usually how these little interviews are podcasts that i like to do are usually done so with right. touring coming back and everything like that hopefully um we'll see each other in person soon absolutely i'd love that it's been a lot of fun all right man have a good day thanks you too hi this is chad nicefield and this is justin press we're the host of making waves the ship rock podcast a part of the sound talent media podcast network we're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment every week we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist we'll have lots of special guests along the way so tune in every week your stateroom is available every monday morning so welcome aboard